Let's turn together to the book of Ruth. Just so you know, we'll fill that tub up every week if we need to. So um, we're spending November in the book of Ruth. I'm just going to try to cover the the whole thing. Um, Last week, we did most of the first chapter. Let me just recap it very quickly. You have a a family lives in Bethlehem. You have a mom, a dad, and their two sons. And there's a famine in the land. And so they set out to go into another country so they can survive. And so they go to this other country and they're there for about 10 years. The sons get married to some local women. And this little family is there. And over the, at some point in those 10 years, the dad passes away and then both of the boys pass away. And so you have a mom and her two daughters-in-law that are left. And she finds out that back home, uh, it had started to rain again and the crops were coming in. And so rather than live as a widow in this foreign land with no one to take care of her, uh, because at that time, that's just how it worked. If you were a widow, you you were in a bad way unless someone married you or unless there's a very charitable uh, group of people around you. Rather than stay there, she said, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And you two girls need to stay here and rejoin with your people and find husbands uh, so that you don't have to live as widows the rest of your life. Um, You guys have been great. And uh, let's just part ways now. One of them says, okay, you're right. I'll stay here. The other one says, no, uh, over these 10 years, we have become family. Uh, So where you go, I go. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Your people are my people. Your God's my God. And I'm I'm not going anywhere. And so that kind of is a very minute and a half summary of the first part of the chapter. And so the mother-in-law's name is Naomi and the daughter-in-law's name is Ruth. And so we're going to pick up at the end of, toward the end of chapter 1 in verse 19. And we're going to go all the way through the end of the second chapter. So it's a lot of... A lot of words. So so the two of them went, uh, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, "Is, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, so Naomi still working through a lot, obviously. Working through a lot, understandably. She's lost her, her husband and her two sons. Uh, it's a dark time. So they come back into Bethlehem. So now we're in chapter 2. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her uh, roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an, an epa of barley. She, she, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, it's kind of easy to get lost in the details a little bit, and we'll go over some of it again. But um, as I was was just asking the Lord, how do you know how do we kind of divide this up and unpack this? I thought a lot about what Daniel actually said uh, in the water, and his a lot of his story is built around this idea that that Jesus is his king, and. We've spent some time in our community groups this semester talking about kingdoms and those kinds of things. And, and I started to, to really think about um, like what, like how that fits into what we're, what we're talking about. So just as a quick, 
quick review of what we talked about in community groups. If you were to, if you were to research the idea of a kingdom, uh, we have a lot of, we have literature, we have history, we have um, movies, you know, those kinds of things. So a lot of our ideas of kingdom kind of come from those things. But it's really always going to come down to a territory, like some sort of like space. And in that space, the king is the final authority. Whatever he say, whatever he says, like that's what goes. Whatever he wants done, that's what is done. And so Dallas Willard, who uh, is an author that has really been very impactful on a lot of us in this room, um, he he talks about this like in, in a, a few different terms. And so I want to put up a couple of definitions that we've talked about in a community group. So that if we're thinking about what is a kingdom, a kingdom is a place where it's where what the king wants done is done. Whatever he says goes. Um, and if a queen is in charge, then this is where what she says goes. And I'm going to stick with king just for the sake of consistency. And so uh, it's, it's where what the king wants done is done. So what Dallas Willard does is he says, okay, so that's a baseline definition. Then he talks about what, what is the kingdom of me? And the kingdom of me is where I am the king. And so in the kingdom of me, it's where what I want done is done. Like, this is, the, this is the territory of all the things that I can control. And so anything that I can control and it's my will be done, then that is like what my kingdom entails. And so you can think of the, of the kingdom of me in terms of, well, the, you know, this is, this is my car. This is my uh, house. This is my money. This is, this is my like free time. This is my, like, gray hoodie that I love so much. Like, these are my things that I, I control them. What I want done is done in regard to certain things. And so anything that's in that control, where I'm the king and what I say goes, that is the kingdom of me, kingdom of Josh. Um, then there's the kingdom of God, which can be simply, in a very simple way, defined as, well, that's where what God wants done is done. And we would call that, another word for that would be heaven, right? In heaven, what God wants done is done. And so uh, we have the, the kingdom of me where I'm the king. We have the kingdom of God where God's the king. And what, if you were to think about the gospel and you were to look at what Jesus is teaching over and over and over and over again, he's inviting us into the kingdom of God. He's, he, this kingdom of God was not accessible until he came and he opened the gates. And he says, now you don't have to live in the kingdom of the world, which is where everybody's kingdom of me, you pile that together and it makes this like kingdom of the world. Um, you don't have to live the way that you were trained to live or the way that your like default is. Um, you don't have to be like in that world. You can actually come into the kingdom of God. You can bring your kingdom into his kingdom. So you can bring your car, your money, your like gray hoodie into the kingdom of God to where uh, it is not you in control of it. It is him that's in control of it. And so the invitation is to bring our little kingdoms, our little control things into his to where we stop being the king. And it's like Daniel said, I was trying to be my own king and now Jesus is my king. And so we have to give up the throne of those things and recognize I'm a terrible, terrible king. I think I'm awesome. That's a part of the problem is how awesome I think I am. 
He is this infinitely perfect king. And from his perspective, all those things that I am controlling can be guided by the one who guides the universe. So who better to oversee my stuff? Who better to oversee what's in my territory than the king of the universe? That's why in Matthew 6, when he's teaching us to pray, he says, here's how you need to pray. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In, in, like, in this room as it is in heaven. In my spending as it is in heaven. In my attitude as it is in heaven. In, in my thought life as it is in heaven. Everything coming under submission, bringing my little kingdom under submission to his big kingdom and letting him do what he does. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Come be immersed into me and my kingdom. And you'll be amazed at what happens because that's how you're actually meant to live. You're not meant to live competing with each other and uh, always like, like stepping over people because of yourself and putting your needs ahead of theirs. Like th- all those patterns of that other world, that's not how you're meant to live. You're meant to live in the kingdom of God where he is perfectly making your life everything he created it to be. So in thinking along those lines... We like it's sometimes it, it, we're as we're talking about it, and you're thinking, okay, I want uh, in my spending as it is on, in heaven, in my marriage as it is in heaven, and all these things that is in heaven. Sometimes those are kind of abstract. And as I was reading through this, I was like, we well, really get to see what the kingdom looks like, like kingdom living looks like, in the way that Boaz conducts his, his own life. We get to see what the kingdom of, Bo, of Boaz really is. And how God had made him the kind of person, even before Jesus and before all of of that, God had made him into the kind of person who took his kingdom, the things that he can control, and he somehow became this kind of person that could submit that to this greater kingdom of God. And so I want to look at this story kind of like from two perspectives of how, like what it actually looks like in real like action to live in the kingdom of God and to bring your kingdom into submission to his. So the first kind of broad thing is um, we see how he, he had these resources at his fingertips. It said that he was, was, a, was, a, wealthy, was a wealthy man. He, was, he had like things that he was able to control. And so like look at verse 5. Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay, so, so one thing is that it, was a, it must have been a known thing that it was okay for this, for this to happen. And when I say for this to happen, here's, here's like what, what it meant, is that as they, were, as they were gathering in the harvest and their workers are, are going out, there were just random things that would fall on the, on the ground. Um, now, 
barley, I don't know, it's hard for me to imagine it, but I, my grand, both my grandfathers were, were gardener, like farmer types, and we picked a lot of corn. And I remember corn would just like, it just fall out of the buckets because we were like six, you know, like carrying buckets of corn or butter beans or whatever, and stuff would spill out and it would get dropped along the way and everything. And of course, we went back and picked up every single one of them because that was, it was that generation. Like you weren't leaving nothing on the ground, you know? And so we, we picked up everything that, that would fall. You, you never left anything that was edible and good. Uh, you took it all with you. But back then, that wasn't really the case. Uh, as they were working the fields and harvesting and things would fall out, there was an, this instruction that went out for them to leave the stuff that just happened to fall on the ground. Um, and it's found a couple of places, and I just want to read you one of them. Let's see. Leviticus, no, Deuteronomy 24. This one, words is longer. Uh, it's also in Leviticus 19 twice. Uh, but Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22 says, uh, When you reap your harvest in your field and, uh, and, for, and forget a sheaf in the field, okay, so some falls out, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So this is in the book of Deuteronomy and twice in Leviticus. This instruction to these landowners to essentially not be greedy. To let the stuff that falls, you need to let the marginalized in your community come in after you and pick up some of what was dropped. It's for the sojourner, for the people who were journeying through, they were traveling, they needed something to eat. It's for the fatherless, it's for the widow, it's for those who don't have a covering over them. The landowners were instructed, like, this is how you need to live your life. And they weren't told... Uh, it, it's, it says in Leviticus, like, don't go all the way to the edges of your field or all the way into the corners. But the landowners got to determine how close to the edges they wanted to get. So you could be a few feet from the edge or you could be 30 feet from the edge. The more generous the landowner, the, the wider those outside borders would be, the, the deeper those corners would be. They would create these large margins in their resources for those who didn't have enough. So when you were really generous as a landowner, you had a really wide corner. And when you were really greedy, you would basically ignore what God had told you to do and go all the way up to the edges. And so a part of what we see in the kingdom of Boaz is he's bringing his kingdom under submission to God. He's saying, these are my crops these are, these, this is like, I have worked hard, I have bought the land, I have hired the workers, I have done all this. We see that it was just a known thing that this was okay. So Boaz shows up for work, and she's been working all day. So it was like a policy that they had. Like This is, this is like something that he took seriously, that he was, was not going to be a greedy landowner. And then look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, 
Come here and eat, uh, some, uh, get some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. She sat beside the reapers and he passed her a roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. Um, she, it says in verse 17 that she took away an epot of barley. That was like two weeks worth in a day. This is him being, this is, this is more than, than uh, him doing like, like the letter of the law. This is above and beyond. This is him being like overly generous with this stranger who has come up. Um, generosity is just, it's part of who we are. Like as the people of God, being generous with our resources is part of who we are because it's part of who, it's who he is, you know? God is generous, therefore we are generous. We are to be generous. We are being made into generous people because we, are, we bear his image. And in Christ, that is being restored. And so that, what that means is over time, we should be becoming more and more like Christ, which means that over time, we should be becoming more and more generous. That's, that's the trajectory that we are on. And so for Boaz, a part of what his, like him stewarding the resources of his kingdom, it meant him taking seriously what had been handed down. He says, no, God wants us to do this. This is a matter of obedience. This is a matter of mission, of taking care of those who don't have enough. This is a matter of, of working against the idolatry that money tends to have and possessions tend to have with us. Um, this, this had all these different levels of why this was good for him to do that. And God is making him more and more into his image in this way. And he says, here's my kingdom. Here's what I can control. Um, I'm going to submit that to what the king of the universe says is good for me and good for everyone else. And I'm going to be a generous person. And so as we look at our lives, you know, you, you, may, have, you may have like a lot of farmland and crops. I don't really know, but... Typically, in Baton Rouge, that's probably not where most of you are, are uh, like making your money. We have jobs, and we have, um, and that tends to be what we think of in terms of resources. We go right to money, but it's not only about money. Time is a resource. Um, we, have, uh, we, are, we have spiritual gifts that he is, like ways that he manifests in, in our lives that are there to build the body of Christ. And so we have something to offer to people all the time to strengthen their faith and to be strengthened by their faith. And um, we, we have these things that we can offer. They're resources, they're tools, they're things at our disposal that we control. And what Jesus invites us to do is to bring those things under submission to him and to relinquish our control over them. And when that happens, I promise you this, generosity will ensue. When you and I become really open-handed with those resources at our fingertips, you will watch that like, they will begin to flow into other people's lives. It's just what happens. And sometimes that's hard to watch, but there's a, there's a beauty to it that's greater than the difficulty and it gets to where you become that person where, like the scriptures say, that God loves a cheerful giver. 
It becomes more and more and more where you, you can't wait to give something away. You can't wait to give a possession away. You can't wait to write that check. You can't, you can't wait to give your time. You can't wait to speak into someone's life. You, like you love to give of yourself because God is generous. You are generous. He's making you more like him over time. The, the rub really comes in in the fact that we, we have to like consciously do this. This is not our default mode. Um, every day we, we have to put ourselves in a position where we are saying, it's, it's, your kingdom needs to come. Your will needs to be done in my resources as it is in heaven. In my money, in my time, in my spiritual gifts, in, in anything that I can offer to someone else as it is in heaven uh, I'm not the king of this stuff anymore. You're the king of it. So what do you want me to do? And there are times when he, uh, he's a, he explicitly tells us what to do with it. You know, the, the tithe is not, uh, there's no real mystery to it. You know, there, there isn't. You, you look at what you make in a year, you move the decimal over, you divide it by 12, you write the check. That's how, that's how it works. It's just, there's no mystery to that. And, and the, then there's, then there's this above and beyond stuff that, that gets a little bit more vague where it's like, well, I don't know how to, I know how to tithe my money, but how do I give of my time? How do I, how do I know all these other kinds of things? And your king loves to guide you into that. It starts with a humble and contrite heart that says, what, what do you want me to do with my day? What do you want me to do with my week? What do you want me to do with my schedule? What, like, will you help guide me into the things that you have for me? Boaz is just an example with his crops. You and I have all these opportunities as well that are really not all that different. And so it's worth it to sit down and say, what, what are the resources that, are, that he has given me, that he's entrusted to me, so that my needs are met? Like he, he wants our needs to be met but there's also enough there to help meet the needs of other people as well. And so Boaz, the kingdom of Boaz is submitted to the kingdom of God in regard to uh, his resources. The second, second thing that we see is, is how this impacts the people, the people in his life. Look at, look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came uh, from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Okay, let's, let's stop right there. Um, I don't know if you are a business owner, but I would love it if you, if you are, if you would w- start walking in your office every day and say this. Walk in every day, say, the Lord bless you. Oh, no, is it the Lord? The Lord be with you. And just see what they say. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to see if my coworkers are paying attention. He shows up. There's all those guys working. And he blesses them. And they respond to him. So this tells me this is not like a, like abnormal kind of thing. Like, what got into boss man today, you know? His workplace, at least based on this one verse, had some spiritual content to it. His workplace was a part of his kingdom. He was able to control what was going on at work. And he chose, at least on this day, but I think their response means that this is probably more regular, to walk in and to, to bless them. Say, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. 
the people in in your little kingdom world um, need to be blessed. Need to be like blessed by you. Now, you might not be the boss man in a workplace that can set the tone for things, but I bet you have some sort of little environment that you can control. We got a lot of teachers in here. You know, your classroom is like your little workplace. And I know that, that, that in most cases, you're kind of restricted as to what you can say and not say. So you might not be able to say, the Lord be with you in the morning, and your kids might look at you like you're an alien or whatever in response. That's fine. Um, but there are other ways that within your little classroom that you can bring that classroom into the kingdom of God. In my classroom as it is on he- in heaven. That can be a thing. If you work in a cubicle in an office, it can be in my cubicle as it is in heaven. If you are the boss in any capacity, you have any sort of of thing, whatever it may be, uh, in whatever context as it is in heaven, to think about what are the ways that we spend our Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, like that environment. How can the people that are a part of that context be blessed by the fact that you have entered the waters of baptism and been immersed in Jesus? That needs to make a difference in those places. And so bringing those opportunities and submission to him in the workplace is like one way that the kingdom, like kingdom living becomes a real thing. So for Boaz, you, you saw it in the, in the workers, how he treated them. Then the second thing is that just the fact that he made it known to all that Ruth was to be protected. Like he, like in addition to saying the Lord be with you and they say the Lord bless you, he's like, hey, um, don't touch her. You know, like that's a, that's a, that's a bold, that's a bold move. Um, and you don't, you, you don't even have to put this on the screen, but we see, we see it in verse nine when he tells her, I have charged the young men not to touch you. We see it in verse 13 uh, when he tells the young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Uh, we see it again in verse 21 where Naomi was like, look, any, anywhere else you'd have probably been assaulted. And so here he is, within his kingdom, there's someone who is vulnerable. And what does he do? He takes steps to ensure her protection and her good. Within our little kingdoms, there are vulnerable people. And sometimes it's really obvious. And sometimes we have to look for it a little bit more. And so in some, in some cases, uh, like, and I'll go back to teachers, you know the kids in your room that are just more vulnerable than others. In your workplace, you, you, you just, as you get to know people, you get to know their stories, those things that come up. But there's also stuff like this. If you drive the same route to work every day, you might see the same vulnerable people on your commute. Um, there's a, there's a, a guy who is homeless that I, like I pass on my commute regularly. Um, and, and it's so hard to just drive by, you know, and I've been praying lately. I was asking the Lord, like, what do I, I feel like I need to do something. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, tr- I'm trying to bring my kingdom into his kingdom. I'm trying to, to look at the vulnerable that are not only in, in my consistent environments, but even like the fact that I pass him every day in the same place. Like, that can't be random, you know? 
And so what I have to do is I have to just, I have to ask God and say, I have to confess and say, I don't know how to help this guy, but I, but I want to. It could be, it could be the homeless. It could be uh, those who are just for various reasons, pushed to the side, overlooked, uh, picked on, made fun of. Uh, we, we know the people in our lives who are just a little more vulnerable and the fact that he took steps to ensure her protection said something to those men to have the boss man be like, you better not let him on her. That said something to them, but also said something to her and it said something to her mother-in-law. It's easy to be like, Oh, Boaz, I'm my hero, but that's not really, that's not the point of Ruth. It's not a romance novel. He's showing her something about the kingdom of God. That's why, the, and here's my last point, is that she comes to him and she's like, why in the world are you being so kind to me? Look at it. It's in verse, uh, verse 10. She says, why, uh, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I'm not one of your servants. When you first read it, it sounds like he's like, well, I'm basically paying you back for being so nice to Naomi and to my family members. And I'm like, I heard that you were nice to them. So this is like, you know, this is karma, essentially, you know. Which is karma is a complete joke and it's completely false and there's no, there's no whatever to it. But um, it's easy to kind of pick up on that vibe. But that's not really the the, the landing point. Like he's he's giving some explanation. Like he's like, um, but but the landing point of of everything is he's is if you go back and you look at verse thir- uh, look at verse twelve. Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's, here's, here's the beauty of it. He says, the reason why I'm being so kind to you is because that's what happens when you take refuge under the wings of the Lord. That's just what happens. It's just natural. Like, you haven't, yeah, this is not about what you've earned. This is not about karma. This is not about like any, anything else that we like want to twist it into. He's like, no, that's just the natural byproduct. That's what happens when the little, the little baby bird crawls up under the mama bird's wing. There's just natural protection and kindness and comfort and provision and whatever you want to call it. That's just what happens. And in various points throughout the Bible, we see that terminology used, that, that God has these wings and he gathers us underneath them, just like we see in nature. So don't be surprised when, when you, are, you receive like compassion and grace and kindness and, and all these things. That's just what happens. And shouldn't that be for us what the people in our lives 
like as they're processing, they're like, why are you, why are you nice to me? Why have you done, done this? Why, why is your classroom different than other teachers' classrooms? Why, is, why are you different than the other people that we work with? Why are you, you're, the way you treat neighbors on our street, it's so different than everyone else. And it has to be like, well, that's what happens because you don't even know it, but you're under the wings of God when you're in, in my presence. When we are working on this, when we are doing this whole thing, because you are experiencing the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of me. But I was like, it's just, it's just what happens. All those things that you've done, uh, like for Naomi, like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. The best thing that you've done is you sought refuge under the name of Yahweh. And every day, you and I are interacting with people and we're using our resources to try and create these environments where people are able to experience the kingdom of God. In a world where everyone is all about the kingdom of me, how, how refreshing it must be and should be to be around the generous, kind, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love people of God that he's making us into. And I want to, like, I want to submit to that every day. There's no, why, there's no part of me that hears that and is like, I don't know. I kind of, like, want to insist on my own way in this one. I just want to cooperate with it. I just want to join him in that. And I think we see with Boaz these two really practical things with our resources and with the people in our lives. These are, he just shows us what it looks like. So if, if that has been an intangible, like, kind of vague thing for you, here's some examples And God will show you how to make your own examples out of your people and your resources. So I hope this is is helpful. I hope this is a a blessing. I hope his example is not something that we see as unattainable because this is what he's doing with all of us. We just have to join him in that. And whatever is stirring within you, you, you need to respond to it somehow. Now you can push away from it. You can say, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, that's fine. But if, if you, if you want to keep moving in this direction, you just keep saying yes to him. You think about your life, you think about your people and you think about your resources and you think about the kingdom of me versus the kingdom of God. And you say, Lord, uh, in, in these relationships as it is in heaven in, in, in these resources, as it is in heaven, you write that down, you pray it and you ask him to make it real. And so this morning, if, if, like spending time in prayer is going to help you respond to what he's stirring. You can do that in these, in, the, in our closing moments, we're going to sing. If singing kind of helps you process that, that's really good. We have two communion lines. If receiving communion is like a, a great tangible step of saying, I want, I want to say yes to everything he's inviting me into. And you get in the line, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice. Um, all those things will be happening in the next few minutes. If you're here with us for the first time, people are moving around. It's okay. It's supposed to happen that way. We want to give you a variety of ways to respond. So we'll sing. We'll receive communion. We'll pray. Uh, there'll be a couple of us on the front row that would pray with you if there's something stirring within you, especially if this idea of following Jesus is completely new to you. And you're like, I want to know what that baptism thing was. I, need, I got some questions about that. We'd love to talk to you about it. So I'm going to pray for us. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray as the musicians come back up.
Father, thank you for the example of Boaz. And the most amazing thing about him is that you had made you made him into this kind of man. It isn't that he's so great or um, there's anything really special about him. What's special is that you did a, you began a great work in him. And we know you've begun a great work in us as well. And so as we think through uh, the baptism this morning and the songs that we have sung and just the invitation in front of us to bring our kingdoms into yours, I, I know you didn't bring any of us here for uh, with any sort of random reason. And so as we respond by singing and praying and receiving communion, uh, I pray that whatever helps us to connect and put some, put some next steps to what you're stirring in us, to give us space to do that in our closing moments. And we recognize we're in a room full of people all in the, same, in the same boat, on the same journey. And we're thankful for your guidance and your, for those wings that we are, are covered by. And as we seek to take refuge in you, We just are trusting you to guide us forward in all these things and more. We love you. pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Our communion lines are open. We can sing and pray and move around and just respond to what God's stirring us whenever you are ready.